Well, good morning, Keystone. Uh, I would agree with Brandon. If you have not, if, if you would consider Keystone Home and not taking that step of membership to consider taking that, um, I, I think church membership is an incredible thing. I think it's something God calls us to, but I think it's also an incredibly thing, incredible thing we get to be a part of. Uh, that, that image of DTR I love, but also love that image of, of other people having your back as you have their back and knowing and loving one another as we go, go throughout this life. Uh, and so I encourage you, if you've not done that yet, to seriously consider it coming up. Uh, we're going to be starting a, a new series this week. We, we just finished up a series last week on prayer, specifically looking at Paul's prayers. Uh, and leading up to Easter this morning, next week, and then on Easter morning, we're going to do a series called uh, From the Garden to the Cross. And so to introduce this series, and hopefully what we get at in, in it, uh, I, ha- I brought something along this morning. I brought a couple things along, but this is the first one. Let me get it flipped to the right way here. Uh, how many of you have seen one of these before? It's probably a little bit hard to see. Uh, th- this is a paint-by-number canvas. Uh, I can remember doing these as a kid growing up. Uh, where you get like a uh, paper or maybe a canvas, uh, and it's blank apart from lines and numbers on it. Uh, And then you also get uh, paints that have corresponding numbers on each of the paints. Uh, And then you're meant to paint by filling in the numbers with uh, the paints that match up with it. And one of the incredible things of the paint-by-number sheet or canvas is that as you fill it in, there's supposed to be this, this beautiful picture that emerges as you kind of fill in the details. So if you would paint this one, uh, this is a little something what it should look like. I've got a picture there. Uh, you think about that. Probably not going to look like that, but uh, hopefully close to it. Uh, when I did paint by numbers, they looked a little bit more like this. Uh, I don't know how it turned out that way, but uh, I'm not the greatest artist. But, but I still think one of the incredible things about paint by numbers is... There's this blank sheet, and as you fill in the details, this beautiful picture emerges. We, we might think of, in some ways, the, the story of the Bible being full of pictures or images. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that, but if you read through Scripture, they're all over the place. And some of them show up over and over and over again. It might be the, the image of a priest. It, it might be the image of the temple. It might be the, the image of a sheep or a lamb or a shepherd, or a father, or, or a husband and wife, or all sorts of other ones. The, the Bible is a story that is full of images. And one of the things that we can do is to trace those images or themes throughout the scripture, throughout the Bible. And as we do, we start to fill in the details and see this beautiful picture that emerges that ultimately draws our attention back to Christ and what he did on the cross and what he accomplished. And so leading up to Easter, this is exactly what we want to do, or what we're going to do, is is to take a theme or image, starting with where we find it in actually the Garden of Eden, when it shows up for the first time, and then tracing it to the cross, and, and Jesus' life, and what he did on the cross, and then tracing it out to our present, and what it means for us as we live our lives today, and to our future, and what we're looking forward to. So that's the the goal of these next three weeks. And and you'll see we're not really focusing on just one passage in the Bible. We're going to kind of be going through multiple ones. Uh, So so you can feel free to look those up in your Bible as we go or or just follow along on the screen. We'll have all the passages up there. Uh, But but this morning we're going to start with the image of clothing. The image of clothing. We put on clothes every single day. All of you are wearing clothes this morning. That's a really good thing. 
It's, it's one of the first things we do in the morning. or We put on clothes or change clothes or whatever it might be. But, but rarely do we stop to ask, well, why, why do we wear clothing? Right? Maybe that seems obvious, and, and there are probably lots of answers to that question. When we come to the Bible, one of the main answers or one of the main things we see in relation to clothing is this idea of honor and shame. Honor and shame. See, we might say that wearing the right clothes at the right time can be a reflection of honor. Wearing the right clothes at the right time can be a reflection of honor. You might think of it in this way. Why was it that everyone and their mom was wearing Eagles clothing the week after the Eagles won the NFC Championship. Like, what? I, I, I went to Rockville Outlets. That place is a graveyard, except for the Philadelphia Eagles outlet. It was packed. Everyone was buying Eagles clothing. Everyone was wearing Eagles clothing. Why? Why? Because by wearing Eagles clothing that week, you were joining in the honor of a team winning the NFC Championship and going to the Super Bowl. Now, this might hurt a little bit more. Why was no one wearing Eagles clothing on the Monday morning after the Super Bowl? Like, no one. Sorry, I know, it's a little too early, Daryl. Right? No one. Be- because to wear that clothing then would have been just a reminder of loss. In some ways, a reflection of the pain and shame of them losing the Super Bowl. See, to, to wear the right clothes at the right time is a reflection of honor. To wear the wrong clothes at the wrong time is a reflection of shame. And and this is part of what we find in the story of clothing in the Bible. It it tells a story of the honor we were made for. That as a human, you were made for an incredible honor, the greatest of honors, and yet of how we lost that honor and instead of the shame we now feel and all the ways we attempt to cover up that shame and yet fail and ultimately of a savior who comes to rescue us and restore to us the, the honor we once lost. And so that's the, the story we'll find with maybe just this big idea guiding us this morning, that Jesus removes our garments of shame and gives us clothes of honor. Uh, we're going to start in Genesis 2 and 3 this morning. So you can open up if you just start in Genesis 2.25. That'll be where we read first of all. But let me pray for us before we do. Father, we praise you for your word, which is not just a collection of random stories that are fun to read, but is a story that you have told over ages and generations, leading up to just the right time in history when you'd planned to send your son, who would live for us, who would die for us, who would raise for us and then ascend to heaven and who will one day return for us. God, we, we want to find ourselves caught up into that story and living lives that, that are impacted and shaped by that story. And so I pray that that's part of what you would do through this series and this morning as we look at this image of clothing and ultimately look at your son and what he's done. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We, we find in the garden... W- this, that we traded clothes of honor for a covering of shame. That we traded clothes of honor for a covering of shame. We we might see, first of all, that we were created to be clothed with honor. We were created to be clothed with honor. One of the first 
mentions, or, or the first mention of clothing in the Bible draws attention to the fact that there, there was none. In Genesis 2.25, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, that, that's related to, to marriage and that relationship, but, but it also more broadly talks about the fact that there was no shame, no cause for shame, no reason to be ashamed. I mean, just imagine the bliss of that for a moment. Never feeling the sting of not measuring up, of not being good enough, of not being worthy. Never fearing being exposed or embarrassed or found out. Like, never dealing with those things because there was no shame. Right? That, that, was in, that must have been incredible. Must have been incredible. And, and yet, part of what we can see in this verse is, is not just that it talks about the absence of shame, but it actually hints at the possibility of being clothed in the future. This line is almost like a cliffhanger in some ways, where we're meant to be left asking, what type of clothes will God give these human beings? What type of clothes is he eventually going to give these human beings? Nancy Guthrie points out something in her book, uh, Better Than Eden, that that others have pointed out too. She's just drawing on other people. She says, "We, we might think of being naked and unashamed as wonderfully freeing, but by stating that Adam and Eve were naked, It's as if Moses intended to prompt some questions in the minds of his readers. Not so much whether Adam and Eve would be clothed, but how and when they would be clothed. Because humanity is created in the garden for this incredible honor. It's what we find if we flip back or reflect back to Genesis 1.27, that famous verse on God creating man and woman, us in his image. Where it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Excuse me. God created humans and chose us for this incredible honor. The highest honor there is. To be his representatives in this world. We we, we get uh, an analogy of this if we think about an Olympic athlete. An Olympic athlete is chosen to go to the Olympics to represent his or her country at the Olympics. And it's an incredible honor. Like to be chosen to go to the Olympics is this incredible honor. And that athlete, as he or she competes in in her sport or discipline, is not ultimately just trying to bring fame to himself or herself, but to bring fame and honor and glory to her home country. In the exact same way, we were not created to bring fame and honor to ourselves, but to be representatives of God who bring fame and honor to him. It's the highest possible dignity and worth for human beings. But but as we see, we, we fell from this original honor and are now clothed with shame. Sin has caused us to be clothed with shame. Because rather than being God's representatives, we attempted to take God's place. This is at the heart of what sin is. Rather than saying, I'll represent God and reflect him and love him and trust him, obey him, we say, I want his place. And that's exactly what we find in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve eat of the tree God commanded them not to eat and seek to become God rather than representing God. And in that moment, sin enters the world and all the shame everyone ever since then has borne in their life. Because in Genesis 3, 7, right after they eat of the fruit of the tree, we find these words. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. From here on out in the Bible, nakedness is associated with shame and disgrace. From here on out, it's associated with shame and disgrace. Genesis 3 is what we we often refer to as the fall. That that humans who who were made to know and reflect the glory of God instead fall and now reflect the image of the serpent and never, ever measure up to God's glorious standards again. This is where I think it's helpful to recognize that shame may show up in lots of different ways in our lives. Shame may show up because of a a failure to do something or because we've done something wrong. Shame may also show up because of something someone's done to us or something someone's failed to do for us. Shame also may show up because we feel like we don't measure up to some standard. Shame likely shows up for a lot of people in some area where we feel like we fall short, we aren't worthy, we, we aren't good enough, that it manifests itself in this, there's a standard and I fall short of it. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I mean, it, it can show up for the, the high schooler who has some standard or measure they think they need to measure up to, some image they want to have, whether it's athletic or attractive or funny or smart or whatever, and they just recognize how often they fall short of it. It shows up for parents who fail to produce perfect kids and produce the exact opposite and then fail over and over and over again as parents. It, it, it may show up for, for the single person who, who lives in a culture that tends to idolize marriage and family. And because they don't have those things, they say, what, is there something wrong with me? What's, what's going on? It, it may show up for the, the person who gets older and as they look back on their life, they see all the ways that they failed and didn't measure up. It may show up for the Christian who just has this nagging sense of, I'm not spiritual enough. I don't do enough. I'm not like those super Christians who I sit next to on Sunday morning. See, shame shows up in all sorts of places. Honor says there's something good with you. Shame says there's something wrong with you. Just think for a moment. Where, where does the sting of shame most show up in your own life? I'm sure it does somewhere. Where does it most show up in your life? Again, I think we have to recognize shame's complex, and sometimes we feel shame over things we shouldn't feel shame over. And sometimes we don't feel shame over things we should feel shame over. But at the core, to remember, the message of shame in some ways is true. We are not good enough. We do not measure up. We have fallen from the honor and glory God created us for And that that is at the source of all our shame in in some way, in some way. Now now notice what Adam and Eve do as they respond to this recognition of shame. If you look back at Genesis 3-7, they make their own clothes, right? They make their own clothes. Before Before they're waiting for God to clothe them, and now they make their own clothes of fig leaves, that they attempt to cover up their shame and regain the honor that they were created for. They attempt to cover up their shame and regain their, the honor they were made for. In the same way, we put on clothes, and I put that in quotations for a reason, we put on clothes in an effort to cover up our shame and gain honor. I put clothes in quotation because it's not just material clothes that we put on to cover up our shame and try to gain honor. Although we may, that may be one of the reasons where we wear clothes is to draw attention to ourselves but we put on all sorts of other things 
in an attempt to cover up, remove the shame, and regain honor. We clothe ourselves with titles and achievements and reputations and the praise of people and far more, hoping that it will quiet that shame we feel and regain that honor that we were designed for. We try on different sets of clothes, hoping the next pair will somehow fix the problem. It it, it might be, again, in the high school who pursues a a 4.0 and getting into the right college. It it, it might be in getting a a good job and climbing the ladder in that job. It it might be in getting married and trying to raise this good family. It it might be in accumulating wealth and possessions. It, It might be in doing ministry and serving other people for the recognition it might bring. All these ways we we do things, we we attempt things, hoping that it will somehow prove that we are worthy, that we are good enough, whether before God or before other people. Like just, just as each new day we put on new clothes to wear, sometimes each new day can just be another attempt where we try to prove ourselves again and again and again. Think with me for a moment. Where where are you most prone? to try to prove your worth before other people in God? And then the second question is, how is that working out? Where, where are you most prone to try to prove it? Like, I'll prove I'm good. And, and, and then how, how is that working out? My, my guess is it, it, it works for a little bit. Like, you can quiet the shame for a time, but then it comes running back in the next day or the next day or the next day. See, all, all of our attempts to remove our shame and regain the honor are no better than Adam and Eve's attempts to cover up with fig leaves. Fig leaves? Like they're not going to cover you up. Something's going to be poking out. There's not, it's not going to work. Right? Or, or, or even if it does, fig leaves, what happens to leaves? They shrink, they crumble, they disappear like it's not going to work. And in exact same way, all the ways we try to cover up, cover our shame, end up failing because they don't get at the root problem that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. S- several weeks ago, uh, my, my dog started to itch more than she normally does. Started to itch all over more than she normally does. And I thought, okay, she must have fleas. She must have fleas. So I immediately responded by getting flea medication and putting it on her, right, rubbing it in. And then I got a flea collar because that didn't seem to work. So it must need more. Let's get more flea medication, put it on her, see if that works. Well, that didn't work. So what's going wrong? I'm doing this. Why isn't this working? Well, I recognized after several days, she's really pawing at her ears. And what I, what I came to realize was that that probably signals that she's got an ear infection inside one of her ears. It didn't matter. Uh, like I could have put flea medication on day after day after day after day after day, and it wouldn't have solved the problem because the problem was not external. It was internal within her ear. The, the same way, we can attempt over and over and over to clothe ourselves, to prove ourselves, but it doesn't take care of the problem because the problem is that we fall short of God's glory as sinners and don't measure up to his standard. And, and notice with me, actually, all of our attempts to clothe ourselves actually just cause us to fall short even more because what are we doing in that moment? We're trying to draw attention and honor to ourselves rather than drawing attention and honor to God. Right? Isn't that all of our attempts to clothe ourselves, get, prove that we're good enough, just as another way that we try to pridefully draw attention to ourselves rather than saying, look at God and look at how great he is. See, we, we have to come to this realization, if we're going to find true clothes and cover shame and, and have our honor be restored, that we can't do it on our own and that we need God to provide it for us. 
And when we come to that recognition, we find hope. Because even in Genesis 3, there's hope. Where God removes the clothes of Adam and Eve and gives them new clothes. Right? Look at Genesis 3.21. Where it says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Takes away the fig leaves that don't work and makes garments of skin to cover them up. Now, with that in mind, let's jump ahead to the cross. To Jesus' life and to what he does at the cross. We, We find at the cross, Jesus traded his honor for our shame. Even before getting to the cross, you can find this if you look for it. Jesus came to identify with the people who were in a position of shame, not a position of honor. He's there for tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. He's called a friend of tax tax collectors and sinners. That was not a compliment. That was meant to heap shame on Jesus for who he's hanging out with, who he's spending his time with, who he's identifying with. Not only that, but, but we see Jesus touching the people who were unclean and unworthy. Lepers, the blind, a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And we find he touches who no one else would. And he gives them his honor and his healing and he takes their shame upon himself. You just see this over and over and over in the story of Christ if you read the Gospels. And then we get to the cross. And what do we find at the cross? What do we find at the cross? Jesus is stripped of his clothes and naked as he's dying, right? We, we, we see this in John 19 where it talks about the soldiers. It says, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We have to remember, crucifixion is not just the the worst form of torture and execution. It's also the worst form of humiliation. The worst form of humiliation. You you hang uh, naked, dying, gasping for your breath as people walk by, stare at you, and ridicule you at times. Like, you are rejected, exposed, weak, and shamed. All, all the things we fear, Jesus became for us. All the things we fear, Jesus became for us. I mean, just stop and think about that for, with me for a moment. Here, here is God, the King of glory, who we should be falling on our hands and feet worshiping. And he's hanging, exposed, naked, and ashamed as he dies. Like, see the depth of God's love for you and how far he was willing to go into shame and humiliation for you and I to rescue us and save us. The the only way for our shame to be removed is to have Jesus wear that shame for us, and that's what he did on the cross. We we have to see him doing what, what we could never do in our place. We have to see sin and all the shame it causes as being the thing that he is wearing on himself in his body as he dies on the cross for us. Listen, what, what is that thing that most causes you shame in your life? Here's a way, another way I ask that. What's that thing that you fear being exposed and found out about? 
Like Jesus took that on himself, on the cross. If we're going to find a solution for our shame, it has to be here. Because this is God's solution for our shame. Saying, you don't have to live in shame anymore because my son took your shame upon himself on the cross. And not only does he remove our shame, but he also clothes us with his honor. The the only way for us to be clothed with honor is to receive Jesus' clothes as a gift. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21, that great verse, helps get at along with other things where Paul says for our sake he made him Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is is the only one who's perfect in obedience. The only one who perfectly represented and reflected God and his glory all the time. It's the only one and by faith When we trust in him, we are given his righteousness, his obedience as a gift and all the honor that comes from that and restored to being his sons, God's sons and daughters. This is what we often refer to as the great exchange. It's an incredible exchange when you stop and think about it. Great's not a good enough word, neither is incredible. We give Jesus all of our sin and shame. It's all we bring to the cross, all of our sin and shame. And he gives us all of his righteousness, every last bit, and all the honor that flows from it. Like that, that is the most incredible exchange the world's ever seen. I, I brought along some, some clothes this morning, and, and here's the first one. This is a, kind of the rattiest, tattiest old shirt that I could find in my closet. I think I got it at Goodwill one time, like, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe. So I was searching through my closet, and I find this. Uh, and if you see, well, it's dirty. It smells a little bit probably. Uh, it's, it's ripping at the edge. Uh, there's also a hole in the seam right there. Uh, and if I wore this to preach, uh, you'd probably be looking for a new church because it, it'd end up being a belly shirt, essentially. Uh, it would not look good at all. It, imagine with me for a moment if someone came up to me and said, hey, I'll trade you for this. I'll, I'll trade you for this clothes. And here's what I'll give you. I'll give you a brand new Patagonia fleece. Now, if Patagonia is not your thing, imagine whatever it is. You're like, man, I'd love to have that piece of clothing. That's worth, I think, $229 is what I found. My ratty, tatty old camouflage shirt for a brand new Patagonia fleece? Yeah, I'll take that deal every single day. That does not compare. How much better That Jesus takes all of our shame and sin and we get all of his righteousness and honor. How much better. And yet to receive that, we have to admit we we are naked and cannot clothe ourselves. We have to acknowledge that our attempts to remove our shame are empty and vain and, and pointless. And we have to acknowledge that we have sinned against God and need a savior. And when we do and trust in him, Jesus clothes us with his clothes, which brings us into the present, that we put on the clothes Jesus has given us to bring him honor. We put on the clothes Jesus has given us to bring him honor. That we might see, first of all, this. God, see, if your faith is in Christ, God sees you as he sees Christ because you are clothed in Christ. That Paul, Paul gets at this in Galatians 3.27. It's a great verse that speaks about our clothing in the present. I'm going to read it in the NLT because I think it puts it a little bit better. He says in Galatians 3.27, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism 
have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Like putting on new clothes. Paul's comparing Jesus to this garment we put on. That we repent of our sin and trust him to save us. It's like we literally put on Jesus. And so when God looks at us, he sees his son. Because that's who we're wearing. The second piece of clothing I brought is this little uh, a James Harden jersey. Uh, my, my son got this as a gift for Christmas from one of his aunts and uncles. Uh, he, he loves the 76ers, uh, especially loves John Bede, Tyrese Maxey, and James Harden. If you don't know who those people are, that's all right. It's kind of pointless facts to know. Uh, but, but he wears this around. And, and when he puts it on, and, and when I come home, uh, I'll, I'll often walk through the door and say, Oliver. And if he has it on, he'll say, I'm not Oliver. I'm James Harden. Or, or we'll play this game where, like, I'll, I'll, I'll joke with him, like, hey, where's Oliver at? Where's Oliver at? And he'll take his jersey off and say, hey, you just missed it. James Harden was here. James Harden was here. See, see when he has this jersey on, we, we pretend that he's James Harden for a little bit. Now, my, my son looks absolutely nothing like James Harden. Hopefully you recognize that already. Or we've got some issues. My son looks nothing like James Harden. We, we look absolutely nothing like Christ on our own. But through faith, we are united with him so much that God speaks of us being clothed in Christ. And here's the fantastic part. God isn't just pretending to see you as he sees Christ. It's not a joke he's playing until you screw up again. That's how he sees you now and forever because he sees his son in you. I mean, this is an incredible reality that we're called to believe, not just once, but day by day by day. That the same honor and love and favor that God has for his very own son is the same honor and favor and love he has for you in Christ. And as we believe that, then we're called to seek to grow into the clothes Jesus has given to us. We're to grow into the clothes Jesus has given to us. Because Paul not only speaks of us as wearing Jesus, but as growing into him, growing into him like growing into clothes. Here, here's what he says in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. You can find this in Ephesians 4, 2 and other places. But again, I'll read in the NLT where Paul says, since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. God has again chosen us for this incredible honor in Christ, just as he chose the first human beings for this incredible honor. That now we're meant to reflect and represent Christ as we go about our lives. That we're meant to put on Christ to, to be an image of him as we walk throughout this life. And it's like we're, we're, part, part of what it means to be a Christian is that we're growing into these clothes. We're growing into them over time. If you go back to this jersey, this is probably two or three sizes too big for my son. That, that, it, that almost maybe looks like a, a dress at times rather than a jersey right now. Why? Be, because he's growing into it. You, you probably had clothes like that as a child too where your parents brought them too big so that you grow into them. This is part of what we're called to do as Christians. Knowing that God already sees us as Christ, 
we grow to become more and more like him. And see, in this, we find God restoring us to the intentional or or, or the initial honor we were created for, to reflect him and represent him in the world. That's what we do as we we grow into Christ and and put him on day by day by day. Just think with me for a moment. What if our goal, our main goal in life, was not to bring honor and attention and focus to ourselves? What if our main goal, day by day, situation by situation, was to bring honor and focus and attention to Christ? That would transform every aspect of your life, right? It would transform how you parent, where the main goal is not to raise children who ultimately bring you honor, but to raise children who live for the honor of Christ or who find Christ reflected in you as you parent them, even when you fail. It it would transform our friendships, where we we don't relate to people just so they pay attention to us and focus on us and give us honor, but rather in friendships and relationships, we we seek to reflect Christ, that they might see Christ in us. Like, it it would transform how you go to work. It would transform how you go to school. It would transform your future goals. It, It would transform everything, where no longer is it about me, but it's about Christ in me and people seeing him. Now, this is where we have to believe the gospel because otherwise we'll still be seeking to cover over our shame and gain honor. But when we believe the gospel, we realize it's already done. So I'm free to now live for Christ, free to live for him, free to fail because God's grace covers over those failings as well and everything else. Now, now as good as I think that is, we we have to see one more thing about clothes in the Bible. We, We have to look out to our future and see we look forward to the final set of clothes Jesus has for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4, Paul compares our bodies both to a tent that will one day be removed, but also to clothes that are wearing out. Here's what he says in these verses. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies as we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Isn't this one of the worst things about clothes? They wear out, right? That, that hoodie that I love, that I wear three times a week, eventually gets a mustard stain on it and somehow both shrinks in length and stretches in width. I gotta get a new one. Th- those jeans you love to wear eventually get a hole in the wrong place and you gotta throw them out. The the three outfits that I wear to preach eventually wear out, and I got to find three new outfits to preach in, right? Clothes wear out. That's the worst thing about our bodies, too, is that slowly but surely they wear out. If you're older, you you likely already know this. If you're younger, you you need to know this. In fact, maybe this is one of the reasons why sometimes shame can be so associated with our bodies, that we're painfully aware of all the imperfections in our bodies. Or or as we grow older, we're painfully aware of all we've lost along the way 
and how our bodies fail us and let us down now. This can be, I think, especially difficult in a culture that prizes youth and beauty and makes an idol of it. And we try hard as we might to to stop from aging, to stop from our bodies wearing out. And yet ultimately all our attempts are like an attempt to sew a patch on jeans that have ripped. They don't work. Try hard as we might, our bodies continue to wear down, fall apart, fail until they completely give out. And part of the wonderful hope of the gospel, the great hope of the gospel is that like a new set of clothes that's stored away in the closet, Jesus has a new body for you waiting for you, waiting for you. That your destiny as a follower of Christ is one of eternal honor and glory because you will put on Christ fully. Just as he has a new body, you will have a new body that will never wear down, never break down, never have any reason for you to be ashamed of. That is a glorious hope that impacts the present too. Here's how Nancy Nancy Guthrie again sets this. She says, here's just one place where saturating our thinking with a Bible story changes us in the here and now. As the certainty of our immortality begins to take root in our souls, it has the power to keep us from feeling so desperate as our youth slips away. We can rest knowing that we are going to be clothed in holiness and beauty, and glory forever. This is the clothes we want for ourselves and for everyone else. One of the fascinating things about clothes is that we have to put them on day after day after day. That that each new day we have to decide what to wear again. And, And I think similar to that, each new day we have to decide or remind ourselves what story are we going to live according to? What story are you going to live according to? Are you going to live according to the story that says you, you are a failure, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you should be ashamed of yourself, you better prove yourself today. And so go into day by day by day trying to perform and prove yourself. Or, or are you going to live in the story that says, yes, I am a sinner who falls immeasurably short of God's standard over and over and over again. And so on my own, I, I, I should be full of shame. But, Jesus died on the cross to bear my shame, so I don't have to have any shame anymore. And not only that, but he, he clothes me with his righteousness and honor. So now I'm free to live for him and not to perform today. And I, and I can know that whatever comes my way today or tomorrow or the next day, I've got a future of glory and honor waiting for me in Christ. Which story are you going to live to day by day? Because it makes a massive impact on how we go throughout our days. So, so here, here's my challenge, and it's a really simple one. The, the next week, next week, and, and maybe it becomes more of a habit, because I think often as Christians, we're, we're formed by little habits, really little habits, and this is a really little one. The next week, as you and I get dressed in the morning, remind yourself of this story. R- remind yourself of this story, of what Christ has done for you, of how he's taken your shame, of how he's clothed you with honor, of how you are son or daughter of God, and go into your day seeking to live for his honor by his power. Remind yourself of that story each time you put your clothes on, and then go throughout the day living like it really is true. Let me pray for us. Father, we we praise you for the cross. Without the cross, we, we have no hope. We have no hope that our sins would be forgiven. No, no hope of quieting the shame that comes with sin. 
no hope of honor and righteousness that we lost, no hope of future life with you, no hope. But, but, but because of the cross, we can be full of hope. We can run to the cross with all our shame and see Jesus bearing it for us. We can remember that we are now through him perfectly righteous. We we can live for his honor rather than our own. And we can look forward to that day where we will be clothed with honor and glory in your presence forever. God, I I pray that that would be the story that, that I live to, the story that we all live to. So often we forget it, but help us to remember it day by day by day and live according to that story. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.